We need to be concise with whatever is being served to us. We need it to be concise. We need it to be, to an extent, entertaining. We need it to be informative at the same time. And at the same time, on the other side, what has also happened is that our thirst for knowledge and our thirst for doing it, doing things ourselves, has also increased significantly. Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. I'm Roshan Karyapa. The last couple of years have seen record number of investors come into the equity markets and startups are building cool new technology and products to serve these folks. Some of them are democratizing information, making transactions seamless and educating these folks about the various nuances. Ticker tape is one of my favorite products in recent times. I spoke to the CEO Ujwal Ankur about their journey. Ujwal is a serial entrepreneur and I really like how measured he is about their execution. We spoke about what it takes to build products for the new age investor, establishing ecosystem partnerships, dealing with regulation and compliance, and a lot more in this lively, interesting chat. I'm sure you'll like it. So let's get into this episode of the Startup Operator Podcast with Ujwal Ankur. Hey Ujwal, welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. Hey Roshan, glad to be here. So Ujwal, anytime I have a serial entrepreneur on the podcast, my one question to them is that what are you doing differently this time around? What have you learned from the previous couple of experiences? What has that taught you and what are you doing differently? I think, uh, so this is my third startup. What has changed since the first time when I was very green and I was doing my first startup called Wellpack, which was an automated expense planner, basically. The difference has been in terms of clearly figuring out what the problem statement is. So earlier when you were young, when you're doing it for the first time, you think from the perspective of solving a small problem statement, you get excited by it. You think about the ways, different ways in which you can solve it. And then you get into execution mode immediately. And you don't think about how you will scale the product, how you will distribute the product. You don't think about hiring a lot. You don't think about probably tech challenges, you don't consult a lot of people before actually jumping in. So I think the evolution for me has been more from the perspective of thinking of something, an idea as a business, not as a, not just as a problem statement that needs to be solved, but also how can we convert that into a business that can sustain itself, that can add value to people's lives. That is something that you as an investor yourself would like to invest in some in the future. Right. Yeah, I think they, they say first time founders think about product and second time founders think about distribution, right? So I think that absolutely rings true. Anything around market, because one thing that I noticed is that a lot more, as, as you mature as a founder, you start paying more attention to the market in which you operate, right? Uh, because I think there are two leverages that you can have aside from the product itself or the idea itself, which is market and timing, right? Now, you know, timing is something that I don't think anyone can pick a perfect time as such, right? I mean, on hindsight, you can rationalize it, but market is something that I think you can really sort of study and be deliberate about uh, to sort of choose, right? Because even if you have sort of a, you know, okay-ish product in a fantastic market, I think it will still reward you for the innovation that you're trying to bring up, right? So, so any thoughts on the market specifically? I would say that uh, the market research obviously is a very important part of anything that you start on, right? Because if you are in the mindset of just solving a small problem that excites you in let's say four days and you are up at night thinking about the problem statement and that's all you think about, not thinking about how it's going to convert into a business. Now that is where a lot of younger founders or first time founders like I was, you know, make mistakes where they think the solution to a problem statement would establish a market by itself. Correct. So you have to do sufficient recce on whether 
this problem statement that might be a problem statement for you and the solution that might be a solution for you is also a problem and a solution for a lot of other people such that it constitutes a business whenever you end up solving it i think uh, the other bit about timing is something that is very luck based i would say because a lot of people have come up with very good products or solutions which were ahead of their time google glass can be a good example i guess because the technology was there right but uh, the ramifications of privacy and other factors were a bit ahead of the time so they were not in his controls probably so one an, an, another another uh, example here would be that when i was doing my first startup when we arrived at the solution for the problem we were ecstatic we were very elated that this is something that no one would have thought of and you have to keep in mind that there are a lot of people in the world probably thinking about the same problem statement that you are thinking of and probably arriving at the same conclusion that you are arriving at and probably while you're working on it they are close to launch and this is what happened with us as well and we are very ecstatic that this is an amazing solution and we were in beta and then we realized that there is another startup and another startup so three startups who were solving the exact same problem statement in the exact same way as we were and they did it like three four months before us so think about creating a business think about making sure that you do enough recce obviously there is some the optimization you can do from a timing perspective but most of it is not going to be under your control right the other thing also and you bring up an important point is that you can't really operate in silos right i mean you can't say that hey i mean i'm solving this particular problem and i can see it through you really have to invest the time to understand the various stakeholders in the ecosystem and oftentimes i mean these may not necessarily be people that you can that you should compete with you can even collaborate with a lot of uh, folks right i mean especially incumbents in the ecosystem itself yeah i would say that by the nature of this being a new business you're trying to set up you'll always find people who you will eventually or uh, or currently as well are competing with or will compete at some point but if let's say that competition can be somehow changed into collaboration which benefits you which benefits your collaborator and which benefits the market at large or the user segment that you're targeting i think that is a win-win scenario for the entire ecosystem obviously this is not something that is always feasible mm. uh, but uh, you have to think from the perspective of how can i let's say stand on the shoulders of others and let others stand on my shoulders so that we can solve a problem collectively a very good example for this is how ticker tape is integrated with a lot of local partners we could have been for ticker tape to compete with these broker partners but we're not competitors we are partners we enable each other we help each other out so this is how uh, the partners benefit this is how the, the ticket tape platform benefits and this is how the users also benefit so we have to think from the perspective of helping each other out and building on top of each other right yeah i was going to bring up that example specifically right so i i found it pretty amazing that i could log into ticker tape using these five or six different uh, uh, options right so let's step back and talk about ticker tape itself it's one of my favorite products from recent times that i've discovered i think it you know very well abstracts the absolute essentials for a novice investor like me and presents uh, it in a form that is easily consumable, very intuitive. So for those who have not come across ticker tape yet, right? What is ticker tape? What are some of your use cases and who are you solving for? Right, so just let me go back to the start when yeah. we actually thought about ticker tape. So ticker tape was incubated inside small case as a POC uh, you know, idea. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to create a screener first. 
So a lot of people were creating small cases and they wanted to understand which all stocks they wanted to put in small cases. So we wanted to create a screener where people could, let's say, filter out stocks, uh, you know, given XYZ criteria to be put in these small cases. That is where ticker tape was born. Uh, the use cases at that moment, it was a very experimental concept. We wanted to figure out whether the screening bit is something that is going to add value to people. And then we realized very quickly that it's not just about screening. It's not just about filtering, but it's the entire gamut of presenting stocks in a light, which is understandable by a lot of people. So historically, the investment industry, I'm not talking about today, but let's say if we talk about 10 years back or 15 years back, has been very, let's say, gatekeeper driven. But what I mean by that is there, are certain, there were certain people who would have more knowledge than, than the average public would about how stocks function, what are the different things that you need to look at. In fact, I would say that 15 years back, very few people would actually know how the entire settlement uh, cycle works. What was happening at that time was that since this was not traditionally a very mass investment vehicle, people were not interested in stock market or let's say general investment instruments as much as they would be interested in an FT instrument, for example, right? Because that is what traditional investing meant for Indian households. As we go ahead, you know, the industry gatekeepers would assume by default that these are certain things that you obviously should be supposed, you're supposed to be knowing, right? This is something that is basic hygiene. And that is where I think the gap has been, where the market has started becoming more serious about learning to invest in other instruments apart from FD, apart from post savings, uh, post office deposits and other traditional instruments, more towards stocks, more towards mutual funds. Obviously mutual funds have had a very good uh, run, I mean, mm -hmm. for a while now, but stocks are more specific. Right? So you have to understand the stock's behavior, you have to understand the company behind it. So it involves knowing a few concepts and doing a bit of research yourself. In, in mutual funds, obviously, there's a fund manager working for you if it's an active fund. If it's a passive fund, basically, it's mimicking an index. So you don't have to think a lot for mutual funds. But for stocks, you have to. So over time, the gap widened, in my opinion, that people who knew and people who did not know but wanted to know, right? And they could not because the gatekeeper concept was such that the assumption was made that people should be already knowing this. This is where we realized that simplification is the key of it, right? So we have to present the concepts in such a way that mm -hmm. people are able to understand why XYZ is important and why I should be looking at XYZ. So this is the entire thesis on which ticket tape started to shape. And then we focused a lot on simplifying concepts, making sure that people have access to concise information and very pertinent information on whatever stocks they're evaluating. Then we moved on to mutual funds. We added a lot of other tools as well for people to evaluate better. And now we are focusing more on, a, you know, an overall betterment perspective, portfolio perspective. This episode is brought to you by Mulia. You want to move fast? Sure. But without breaking things? Now that's a hard ask. The thing is, once you have some base of users and customers, you just cannot afford to risk uh, quality. So how do the likes of Cred, Swiggy and CureFit you know, some of India's fastest growing startups ship at lightning pace and delight their users and customers. Simple, they're working with Mulia as a strategic quality partner. Mulia is India's most talented and passionate community of testers. They've helped prevent thousands of bugs and regression issues. So as a CTO or a product owner, if you want to reduce tech debt, especially while you scale, do check out mulia.com. I've interviewed uh, Mulia's founder and CEO Pradeep on the podcast earlier, and we spoke about how startups can improve quality while scaling and things to that effect. 
you should definitely check it out. I'll link to it in the description below. Now back to your regular programming. Yeah, I think these investors, right? I mean, I think in one generation, we have moved from default FD and gold to mutual funds to now equities and even crypto and stuff, right? I mean, it's uh, been phenomenal in that sense, you know, how the retail investor has sort of grown and their aspirations have also grown, right? So now building a product for this new investor, right? What are their expectations? What have you learned about these folks? And how are you using those behaviors to sort of uh, inform your product decision making and so on and so forth? I think one concept that a lot of people talk about is how the behavior of the, if we just talk from an Indian context, how the behavior of the Indian user or digital product user has evolved over time. By time, I mean last 10 years. But I mean, that's the history that we should be talking about. I think what has happened is that like everywhere, obviously the attention span has reduced, right? So we need to be concise with whatever is being served to us. We need it to be concise. We need it to be to an extent entertaining. We need it to be informative at the same time. And at the same time, on the other side, what has also happened is that our thirst for knowledge and our thirst for doing it, doing things ourselves has also increased significantly. If you think about 15 years back or 20 years back, all the investment, even gold for that matter, would be driven through RMs, right? Mm -hmm. So a bank RM would call you. They'd say, sir, madam, you this is where you should invest in. And people would blindly do that. And that they would act as advisors, they would act as facilitators, they would act, act as executors or whatever your investment strategy was going to be. And people trusted them blindly. So this has changed now. As I mean, you would have seen how the younger generation in particular doesn't even like to take calls anymore. Hmm. Right? So RMs changed to digital RMs, but that was just a small change. Right? The idea was that we are moving towards a more DIY setup. I need to understand what I'm doing as a new age user. I need to make sure that whatever I'm doing is something that is in the best interest of whatever my future goals are. So the concept of following advice blindly has moved to figuring out things yourself or making sure that let's say if I, am, if I have an advisor, if I have to have an advisor, basically I'm okay to pay as well. So this entire gamut has changed from following someone blindly to actually making sure or putting in the effort or putting in the money to get the advice that is required. So this basically now presents us both with opportunities as well as challenges. So in terms of opportunities, we as new age platforms have latitude to actually work on features where users want to experiment themselves. They want to figure out themselves. So we can put a more amount of trust, put more amount of trust in the user's hands to you know understand certain concepts if we present it in a certain way. Now on the challenges side, Obviously, the attention span is something that we have to work around. You know, we can't change user behavior, but we have to work around the attention span issue. We have to make sure that people are engaged. And as a side effect, while uh, let's say presenting a voice and tone and how we interact with our users, we want them to you know, keep learning on the side as well. So this basically influences a lot of decision making on how we structure our product, what kind of interactions we are going to build what kind of, in what tone or what, what flavor we're going to serve our features to our users. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can observe this across many different domains, right? I think things have become a lot more DIY, I would say, right? The new investing class is uh, definitely open to tinkering with stuff, learning things themselves, discovering and all of that. And as you make things, you know, more seamless, faster, cheaper, better, and so on, right? There is also the flip side of 
you know perhaps misselling misguiding someone right and we've seen cases for instance in the us with robin hood where you know i think there were a couple of suicides and so on i mean not for any mal intent or anything but simply by the way the system itself is designed right if you make it easier to transact and invest and so on i mean it will obviously lead to a certain outcome so any specific way you are guarding against it you know how are you sort of like again being cognizant of that and and working around it I think uh, you raised a very good point. How you define your targets or how you define your KPIs are basically going to dictate what you are going to do to achieve those KPIs or targets, right? So if we think of a traditional business, uh, let's say a traditional distributor business 20 years back, their targets would be set by the volume that they are able to, let's say, sell or get their, their contacts transacted in. That's not just 20 years ago, by the way, even today, a lot of intermediaries would have those KPIs as the targets. And not, I'm not saying that is a wrong practice in itself, but what it manifests into is something that we have to keep a guard against. Now for us, at least the KPI is completely different. It's not just to get transaction volume because those are very, in our opinion, and it's a very humble opinion, but it's, they are very shallow uh, KPIs. Our targets or KPIs should be to enable the user, you know? So transaction volume is not something that we are chasing. We are chasing a complete portfolio awareness for the user, you know? So what should I be doing? What am I doing wrong? Who can I learn from? What should I be looking at? And if transaction happens, that's uh, something that is a byproduct of that entire journey. So the mis-selling bit is a pertinent issue, but it only manifests in a bad way when your targets are misaligned with what they should be. If your user's interest and your interest are misaligned, it will lead to, in my opinion, misselling at some point. So we have to avoid that. Right. No, and it can happen in the conventional world of, uh, you know, relationship managers and uh, investing as well, right? I mean, we hear of so many cases of, you know, 60 or 70 year olds being sold ULIPs, for instance, and so on, right? So, you know, just to persist on that point, right? Oftentimes I wonder, like, as a CEO, I mean, you may have a certain vision, right? But then the product folks will have to get engagement right? The marketing folks will have to go and get business from the market and so on, right? So how do you align these different folks to that central mission of actually informing the user, educating the user and actually enabling, you know, wealth creation over a period of time in a patient way? So it's more to do with what DNA you are setting for your product. And when I say product, I don't mean just the platform that is visible to the user, but the entire team as a whole. So a very let's say sales oriented outfit would basically do everything to optimize for sales, right? And I'm not, not saying again, that this is something that is wrong in isolation, but if not checked well, that can lead to something that can lead to mis-selling and that can become an accepted practice. What I'm coming from is that we have to set the goal for the team in, as a whole to think about the user from a user's empathy perspective, right? that as a product person, you have to think about X, Y, Z. Now, how does this X, Y, Z goal manifest into product KPIs is something of a different conversation. But for example, you want to ensure that people are aware of what they're investing in before they actually invest in. A very good example for this is Nudge by Zeroda. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. So they provide nudges on Kite when the user is transacting something that has you know, certain red flags or certain things. For instance, when the stock split or I think uh, when correct. there's penny stocks and so on, right? Correct, correct. So the Nudge by Zeroda is uh, basically it's a user empty wala bit, right? So we have to craft 
let's say KPIs for our product team or marketing team or tech team, everyone to make sure that these things are internalized by the teams and that is what they drive towards. Right. So talk us through some of the customer acquisition at Ticketape. I noticed that you're working with influencers, uh, for instance, right? So what has that experience been like and what do the typical funnel look like? So uh, obviously it's a very multi-pronged distribution or other marketing uh, strategy that we are employing. We obviously have on one side our broker partners who we uh, interact with on a uh, you know integration basis to make sure that people are able to use their broker accounts on Ticketape to transact, to test their holdings, see their portfolio in a standardized way. Also, we work with a lot of influencers to make sure that the audience that they have, which is a which is an audience that uh, is accustomed to seeing things from a particular perspective, from their perspective, mm-hmm. is aware about certain things that Ticketape is doing or anyone else is doing for that matter. So we work with these influencers to introduce certain things that we do. Now, this is not something that is promotional only per se. This is more from the perspective of making sure that uh, whatever we are working on is something that uh, a particular influencer's audience is also interested about. So we talk about certain common points. For example, an influencer would make a screen using a screener, and uh, this would allow them to talk about certain aspects of that screen that we have put in, which you know the, their followers can also replicate by quantitative. Right. I think a key channel for your growth is also the ecosystem partnerships that you have, right? I mean, for instance, with Zeroda and stuff. So how do you think about these partnerships? Is there like a cohesive strategy on that? And uh, what would your advice be to other folks building in the space to like go out and like form these partnerships? I think partnerships uh, are mostly from the perspective of, uh, you know, what kind of value addition that can be done. One thing that has worked very well for us, for all the broker partnerships that we have is, uh, is been powered by uh, small case gateway. So I'm not sure if you know about small case gateway, yeah. gateway is the buffer between, let's say a user and a broker on a third party platform. So the small case gateway has helped us a lot. Now, in terms of how these partnerships work. Uh, is more to do with uh, what synergies we can find between, let's say, the user base of uh, the broker partner and, let's say, whatever we are building. So you'd see a lot of research teams for these brokers also have their own small cases. That's on the small case side. I will not go there for now. But uh, in terms of ticket tape, again, the partnerships are more to do with what kind of value add we can provide to the broker partners, users by having different screens, having different portfolio uh, views, portfolio analysis, et cetera. Right. One of the things that you also have to deal with is compliance, right? Regulation and compliance, especially. <laughs> and, uh, you know, oftentimes this can be such a thorn in the neck for uh, startups, right? Because startups are used to a certain brisk pace of doing things. And, uh, you know, you can think of compliance as kind of slowing you down, right? So, uh, again, any advice on navigating the whole compliance uh, quagmire in some sense? I think I read somewhere, I think on Twitter, that fintech is compliance tech, and it's partially <laughs> true. Because uh, as as if you want to build a sustainable business in in India or anywhere else for that matter in finance, you have to be cognizant of uh, everything that's affecting you from a regulatory perspective. Obviously, if you are uh, someone who is going to disregard a lot of uh, regulations and you are looking for loopholes, you might get away with a few things in the short term, but in the long term, it will uh, come and haunt you. So you have to think of compliance as something that is not just a checklist that you're checking but you have to be proactive in making sure that you are following the, not just the words, but in spirit as well, in terms of understanding if there is a doubt, if you have any doubt in terms of uh, whatever I'm going to do, X, Y, Z is, can be construed as being non-compliant 
uh, take an opinion. If you still have doubt, ask again, take another opinion. Because it's very important, not just from the perspective of being on the right side of the regulator, but also from the perspective of being responsible for the users that you're serving. You know, because if you end up being incorrect and something happens because of, uh, let's say, your miscalculation, that is something that is entirely on you. And you should be, let's say, penalized for that. That is on the legal side, but you should, uh, you're not being a responsible platform if you are uh, not thinking always from the perspective of your user. If you're thinking, let's say, from a product side, you're thinking how I can make my user's life better, should also be thinking on the flip side on what can I do proactively to not make my user's life worse. This is where compliance comes in. Yeah. No, that's a great point, actually, because I think compliance, a lot of the times it acts like guardrails, right? Because uh, again, I mean, you know, startups may want to move fast and break things, but here you're really dealing with uh, somebody's savings, right? Someone's income. And uh, uh, so, I mean, being being cautious about uh, those things, I mean, really pays, right? So what do you have coming up, uh, Ujwal? I mean, so anything on the product side or new expansion uh, and so on? Right. So as I said earlier, the ticker tape was uh, started as a, as, as, a, as, a, as a POC idea. And now we are doing quite well. We have grown a lot in the last two and a half years. Uh, we have uh, a decent amount of traffic coming in. We have a lot of users who are very loyal to Ticker Tape, and they suggest they suggest a lot of things for us to do. Uh, hopefully, I'll get some suggestions from you as well after the call. But uh, what has happened recently is that uh, we have thought a lot about where we want to take Ticker Tape in the next three years, four years, five years. We had many different paths that we could have chosen. What we have decided to do is focus more on the holistic platform building perspective. What I mean by that is that currently, whatever analysis is happening, is happening mostly in silo, right? So it's DIY, sure, but it's also in silo. So whatever analysis I'm doing, I'm doing it from myself. I'm doing it from the context that is available to me. And it's very fragmented as well. Hmm. So if we talk about learning, if we talk about uh, analysis and we talk about execution. These are the three main pillars. All of them are happening in very static context, which is very, you know, very uh, a specific silo of its own. What we want to build on Ticketape is more community-driven, interaction-oriented features across all these three pillars. So whether it be learning, whether it be transactional, whether it, whether it be execution, we want to build a social investing layer on Ticketape. So this is where we are going. We are very, very excited about this. We have been working for a while on a few of these features. And probably if you're a beta user, you'll be able to see some of these features very soon, probably in a couple of months. And as part of this uh, entire direction that Ticketape is going into, recently Ticketape has been spun off from Smallcase into its own company, and we'll be following our own path going forward as well. That is something that we are very thankful to Smallcase for, because they have been a perfect, let's say, parent for Ticketape to grow into what it is today and in the future as well. We'll be learning a lot from small case on all of the market participants as well in terms of how to craft an ecosystem where all your needs from, let's say, learning, execution, or transaction happen in a, not in a silo perspective, but more from a collaborative perspective. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, you know, what is, what is it like working with the small case team in the ecosystem? So uh, obviously, small case and ticket tape work very closely together. So I mean, a lot of people were early small case uh, team members, not their ticket tape team members. It's it's a very fun environment. The small case and ticket tape team uh, together, basically. I mean, the entire say the ambience that we have is, is very very nice. We are a very very friendly place to work at. We have really really great people working with us, and it's fun to you know engage in a lot of discussions that we do. I mean, a lot of ideas don't even see the light of day. 
and those ideas those questions that you have on why those ideas didn't work out or why they why you thought they would work in the first place those discussions are the best in my opinion and to have those discussions with this amazing group of people is, is something that one needs to be blessed to have amazing amazing so in preparation for the next leg of growth you have to change a little bit as well as a founder right what are those two or three things that you are working on personally to prepare yourself for that next orbit that you have to shift to i think it's more to do with how big you can dream you know it's not when i say how big you can dream it's not to do with how how big a valuation you, you can get that is in my opinion a bit of a side point what is more important is how big you can dream in terms of what kind of value add you can create for your users and the second bit is the second pillar which where i think that a lot of uh, you know product leaders should be focusing on is how can you create an environment in which your team can achieve that so these are the only two things in my opinion the broad things that someone should be thinking about if they're thinking about scaling their startup is am i dreaming big enough am i dreaming in the right direction that's the same point and the second bit is am i facilitating a sufficient enough or a good enough uh, environment for my team to be able to achieve that and these two things are basically what i'll be focusing on the most going forward right and uh, you know before we let you go any books or podcasts that you would recommend so i've been uh, i've been to podcasts a lot recently it will sound as an excuse but i haven't been reading a lot but uh, it's mostly paisa paisa by uh, anupam gupta yeah. i really like that a lot nice one and then we have uh, planet money i don't know if you've seen this uh, by npr so that is something that i really like and then uh, we have a rich dad radio network i don't know if you've uh, heard them and then there's one more there's robin hood snacks that is uh, one i also invest like the best uh no i haven't tried yeah that. you should check that out it's pretty interesting as well on that topic we have recently launched a podcast uh a ticker day podcast it's called uh where's my money i'm just going to plug it in it's just awesome. three episodes old. just three episodes old but uh we are trying new stuff with it so just uh have a have a listen let me know what you think yeah so guys go check out uh where is your money it sounds interesting I, where's, I'll my, where's my money where is my money where is my money right so so ujwal this has been a fun conversation uh, and uh, you know like i mentioned one of my favorite products in recent times i'm super excited for you know what the future holds for you and i hope you do bigger and better things so uh, so all the best for everything that you have coming up so nice to hear that prashant i'll pass on the thing thank you thank you thank you so much for listening if you liked this episode then don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite platform and share this episode with all of your fellow startup operators Also follow the startup operator on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. Stay safe, take care and see you soon on a brand new episode of the startup operator.